Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Masaro Method. I am so pleased to welcome Daria Kalinyuk. Daria is the executive director of the Ukrainian Anti-Corruption Action Center and the co-founder of the International Center for Ukrainian Victory. And Daria, it is a particular pleasure to have you on because I have known you, I have known Daria for many years, long before the full-scale invasion. So we've been working together since really I began this kind of work, well, you know, since I could find Ukraine on the map. Um, we've been working together on this kind of stuff. And I can say without hesitation that she is one of the most inspiring champions of democracy that Ukraine has got. So as usual, please like and subscribe. It gets these videos seen and keeps the channel going. So Daria, thank you so much for joining today. I've been really looking forward to this interview. Good to be here. Thanks for inviting and for an amazing intro. So we've worked closely on anti-corruption in the past. I mean, I, I think that for, for sort of those that don't know, uh, you know, <laughs> before I sort of began being a tweet machine and talking all the time about getting Ukraine these weapons and stuff, I, I most of my work and a lot of my work still um, is strongly around anti-corruption, uh, sanctions and, and, and that sort of thing. So I've worked with Daria very closely on this kind of both the reforms um, and uh, and kind of targeting the individuals that you know, we'd like to see, let's say, Thank kind you. of, yeah, 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 disabled. <laughs> um, so I, I want to ask you, though, Daria, I mean, you've, you've seen how my life has changed. Your life has changed even more profoundly as a Ukrainian. Um, and you are in Kiev now, but I mean, you're, you were based in Kiev. You've, you've had your life sort of turned upside down by this invasion. So tell me how your work has changed. Well, it's just uh, much more work, uh, much more challenging work. And uh, uh, personally, I'm in between uh, Ukraine, uh, Poland, and all across the world. Uh, I visited the US last year for six uh, times and many other countries advocating for more weapons for Ukraine. But from time to time, I'm coming back to Kyiv. Uh, my team, Anti-Corruption Action Center, is still on the ground working, guess and what, on anti-corruption reforms and rule of law reforms in Ukraine. And I'm here since mid-December, so basically for the last six weeks I'm here uh, and uh, merrily focusing on everything in regards to anti-corruption and rule of law and judicial reform. So that's fantastic. So you're saying that the, the anti-corruption work continues even as Ukraine defends itself from this genocidal invasion? It never stopped. It's a bit slowed down probably in March. And by mid-April, uh, it have already returned back on, 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 on its rails. Uh, and uh, initially, uh, detectives and anti-corruption prosecutors from our anti-corruption agencies, many of them, just enlisted into the armed forces. And some of them still are defending uh, our sovereignty in trenches. But uh, majority of uh, experts and professionals in anti-corruption sector are still in their usual fight, fight for winning the peace. Um, yes. And that's uh, that's important fight. And uh, we want our partners trust us as, as the country which is reforming and where corruption is an exemption from the rules, not as a rule. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's just amazing. I mean, in D.C., we talk about. Walking and chewing bubblegum, meaning doing two things at once, right? And we usually mean like working on two bills or, or, or doing like a statement while you're doing something. You're literally <laughs> reforming the country as you 
fight off the second largest military in the world. So, I mean, it's, 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 it's really a heroic act. I mean, I, I hope we recognize that. So before the full-scale invasion, like right before in the run-up when we had Russian troops amassing on the border and there was the whole, the, you know, the, the, the administration started to release information about the expected invasion and, and a lot, there was a lot of uh, uh, head shaking and we were still in this world of, can we deter this invasion? Can we deter this invasion? Uh, the Anti-Corruption Action Center uh, was right up in front, right out in front and center with this block Putin's, Putin's wallets uh, initiative, trying to think in terms of, and this was, you know, something I guess that I also advocated at the time that that we needed to we needed to start now with sanctions. We needed to start blocking these guys now in order to signal that we were serious about deterring this invasion. Do you think that if we'd done that, it would have deterred the invasion? Do you think that we that that if we'd followed anti-corruption action centers lead, that we could have deterred this invasion? I think it's super hard to predict what is in Putin's mind. Uh, uh, but I think that the chances uh, for preventing the war would have much increased. Uh, and we were advocating for stopping Nord Stream 2. Uh, yeah. Unfortunately, back in May, I think, 2021, 20, uh, sanctions against Nord Stream 2 were lifted uh, by, yep. uh, by the United States. And I think this encouraged the feel of um, you know, unpunishment uh, of uh, Putin's regime. And then immediately when uh, we understood that uh, Russia will likely attack Ukraine. And uh, I think we understood that in December and in January, we have started preparing uh, at, at that time without preventive measure. Uh, we were demanding our foreign partners to impose personal sanctions against Putin wallets. Everybody was coming to Kiev. I, I remember Macron was coming to Kiev. Scholz was coming to, to Kiev. President John, well, the Prime Minister Johnson was coming to Kiev. Um, senior U.S. officials were coming. And we were saying, listen, guys, you're coming to Kiev. And then you're coming to Moscow. And Macron mm -hmm. was coming to Moscow. And Scholz were coming to Moscow. But yeah, this, guys, was the, this was the time of the long table. Yeah, <laughs> long table discussions, absolutely. And we were suggesting, listen, instead of instead of going and negotiating with Putin about nothing, um, uh, allowing him to humiliate yourself, just humiliate him by imposing personal sanctions against oligarchs who are actually not independent businessmen, but are his uh, wallets of, of assets. So we mapped uh, those information, which was already publicly available about assets, uh, luxurious mansions in France, uh, in uh, uh, in Great Britain, uh, in Germany, uh, we mapped banks through which um, uh, Russians are usually laundering uh, funds, and we have demanded actions. Uh, but there was this fear of being too escalatory. <laughs> so in early February, late January, a year ago, by world escalatory. Uh, uh, they meant uh, just imposing personal sanctions and uh, imposing sanctions on Nord Stream too. Yeah. So. Uh. Yeah. 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 Right. Right. Before it meant not sending javelins. Before it meant not sending Heimers. It meant yeah. not putting any sanctions on any of Putin's cronies. On any. Uh, not not putting sanctions on Nord Stream too. Yeah. You're absolutely right. I mean, and and I guess this is what I when I when I say 
we should have listened to Ukrainians. We have to listen to Ukrainians. We should have been, you know, this is, this is what I mean. You know, Dario is out there. Others are out there for years saying, here is how you deter Putin. Here's how you deter Putin. Here's how you deter Russia. And we didn't do any of it. I mean, I, I mean, I mean, I mean, we sanctioned Deripaska in 2018. That was it. I mean, that was, that was, and that was like, that was but like then, really, there was a whole. One of his companies, uh, right before war, some of his companies were lifted from sanctions. Yeah, right, right. The, the sanctions were even lifted from those companies. Yes, ex exactly. Yeah, so he sanctioned Deripaska and then Russell was taken off the, the sanctions list. You know, so no, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, I mean, this is, this is the kind of thing we should have been up to. We weren't up to. We were been told that we needed to do it for years. We didn't. It is done now. Most of, I mean, most of it. Um, there are still gaps, of course, that need to be closed. But like like Abramovich somehow is still not sanctioned by the United States. Uh, defies all logic, but there we are. But but I mean, that's you were you were out there on the front line saying all that for years, for years that which which is now done. So, I mean, you know, congratulations to your foresight. <laughs> you know, and uh, I mean, it's a, it's a uh, to all those soldiers, uh, fallen soldiers uh, who yeah. made their lives. And uh, we have to keep in mind what is the cost of non-action. That's and exactly right. Non-action is actually human lives, literal humans, both civilians and military. Uh, that is important. It's um, the, the risks of not doing are super high. Somebody is paying with their lives. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Um, I want to ask you, so there's a lot of misinformation floating around, always has been, about corruption in Ukraine. I mean, particularly now, though, um, you know, there's the, uh, uh, of course, a very prevalent Russian-driven and also kind of, um, I guess, driven by by a certain segment that's trying to uh, undermine support for Ukraine narrative that Ukraine is just this corrupt basket case will never get better. Um, you know, uh, Zelensky himself is involved in money laundering and somehow this is related to, you know, I guess Hunter Biden or, or something else. But, but I mean, I mean, what is the, you know, what is, what does the West need to know about corruption in Ukraine? How do we, how do we understand this responsibly? Uh, to answer your question properly, we have to keep in mind um, what was in the Putin's speech uh, right before the invasion. It was a long, heavy speech. I recommend everybody who didn't hear uh, the speech to listen to it, uh, because it explains everything. And in that speech, Putin mentioned every single anti-corruption reform yeah. which we've been working on, together with our international partners, together with different players, peripheral players in Ukrainian government with very civil society organizations. And he mentioned them in, in, to, to, to such a detail that even average Ukrainians uh, don't know these details, like um, the ethics commission of the High Council of Justice and the way how High Political Commission of Judges has been uh, composed in Ukraine. So it's, it's, a it's all your stuff. <laughs> it's important stuff, but you don't expect uh, you know, uh, Putin, Hitler. <laughs> yeah, you don't expect Hitler to know all the details. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and he was uh, suggesting that uh, all those uh, reforms were done in Ukraine um, by pocket organizations controlled by Americans 
in order to undermine Ukrainian sovereignty and deprive Ukraine uh, from its uh, marriage with Russia. Right. Yeah? And it's, uh, it indicates that for Russia and for Russian imperialistic authoritarian now totalitarian regime, anti-corruption, rule of law, judicial reforms in Ukraine is a threat. Because these are reforms which are making our country different civilizationally. And these are reforms which are paving the future for our people, where we can live in dignity, where we can build jobs, where foreign direct investments can come, when there can be prosperity, and where there actually be absolutely different country than what they have in Russia. And uh, obviously, uh, for Putin, it's a threat, uh, because how come um, Ukrainians will live better than Russians in, 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 in that beautiful Russia? Um, so um, that's, uh, that was so one of the reasons I think uh, uh, Putin decided to uh, destroy Ukraine militarily, because he was not able to destroy it from inside. Institutions started working, and we started to pave our way towards EU um, integration, where we have to be transparent, where we have to be accountable. And he couldn't control through corruption anymore. Ukrainian politicians, um, Ukrainian um, uh, government. So obviously there was corruption. There is still corruption in Ukraine, like in the U.S., like in EU, everywhere. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But in, in, in civilized countries, corruption is an exemption. Corruption is not necessarily driving every single decision or geopolitical dimension of the country. So, um, and... Uh, Basically, uh, in the early stages of uh, uh, large-scale invasion, I was telling to American decision-makers and to Anthony Blinken, listen, for what we have built during the last 10 years in anti-corruption and rule of law, Ukraine is now being executed. Therefore, please help us militarily to protect our democracy. Because we relied on you, we relied on... Um, uh, you know, internationally, uh, you know, agreed rules or, or order um, where there is not a rule of power, but, uh, yeah. Uh, but yeah, rule of law. And uh, that was our uh, arguments that uh, democracy must have, uh, uh, must, must be armed. Um, but yet we are still uh, pushing our government for delivering important anti-corruption steps. And in some of this year, uh, important step was made the uh, specialized anti-corruption prosecutor was appointed a very good guy, Alexander Klemenko, very independent. Uh, he um, brought the, the new blood um, and energy um, into the work of um, uh, NABO, SAPO, and High Anti-Corruption Court. This is the triangle of anti-corruption investigation. Mm -hmm judicial bodies, and he revived a lot of old frozen uh, uh, procedures regarding high-level corruption. And one of the uh, recent scandals which emerged in Ukraine um, emerged because NABU, this anti-corruption investigative body, arrested a deputy minister uh, who was caught in bribe. This was the recent resignations that happened? It, it, it Just was like last of... week? 
It was last week. It was one yeah. of the resignations. And uh, the case is very interesting because um, it was, uh, it, it is important to understand what was their reaction, political reaction. Um, uh, while there was a criminal investigation and corruption was uh, exposed by law enforcement agency, there was immediate political punishment. And this mm -hmm. political punishment was uh, Minister Kubrakov told his deputy minister, you must resign. And he was fired. So the criminal procedure of the trial will be on the way, but already the guy uh, 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 out. Political is out. Yeah. And it is, uh, you know, he, he, this guy, deputy minister was, uh, uh, was coming from ministry of regional development. It's the old ministry, which is now merging with the ministry of infrastructure. So there is still a lot of old school, uh, governmental officials and politicians and which must be cleaned. And I think that this scandal is actually indication, powerful indication that in Ukraine, there are forces and institutions which are able to spot corruption um, uh, and stop it and send the right message uh, to all other governmental officials. Don't do this anymore. Ukraine is changing. Yeah, I mean, that's that's exactly right. Right. I mean, the exposure of corruption and consequences after exposure, accountability means that the system's working. It doesn't mean, you know, I mean, when you see that, that's like, that's a good thing. You should be like, wow, this is, this is great. You know, the people that are committing uh, these kind of corrupt crimes are getting exposed and they are losing their positions. It's a, and then, and then there will be a case, uh, which is not that perfect. Uh, and where I think uh, we will keep our pressure and we will demand more political responsibility. Uh, this is the case of the Minister of Defense of Ukraine. You know, our Minister of Defense is now the largest procurer of the country. Mm -hmm. um, uh, they are spending all money of Ukrainian taxpayers. So they are not spending my money of foreign taxpayers or foreign aid. It's everything which we are collecting through the taxes paid by Ukrainians is being basically spent for Ukrainian defense by Minister of Defense. Yeah. And there was um, uh, exposure also of uh, uh, public procurement. Well, it was not a public procurement. It's a, it was a contract, food contract, uh, of purchasing food for um, uh, increased prices uh, by the Ministry of Defense. Uh, this was exposed by investigative journalists, prominent investigative journalists. And unfortunately, our Minister of Defense went into the full denial uh, of wrongdoing, and he started uh, suggesting that it was informational campaign against him, targeting him. And I think it doesn't, it, it is not a, a, a way how the mature um, uh, government officials should react. Although, um, although I got to tell you, we've seen this story before in the USA, right? I mean, like, in, in, in the West, this is not an uncommon um, circumstance that an accused official... Oh, no, you're you just don't like me. You're just going against me. You know, I mean, so it's I mean, I, I, I want to I guess I, I that's that's to say I want to recognize that this is not unique to Ukraine and is, in fact, a very normal thing among democracies. Yeah, absolutely. You know? I mean, absolutely. You know, uh, uh, OK, in Ukraine during the war, even for investigative journalists to say truth and to ask. Our absolutely. Self-defense go and explain. And then the minister immediately went to the parliament for parliamentary hearings in the parliamentary committee for defense, parliamentary committee of 
anti-corruption. There were some parliamentary initiatives uh, registered to make food procurement for army more transparent. Um, uh, Deputy Minister uh, resigned, the head of the department who did the procurement resigned, but I hope there will be more political responsibility of the Minister Resnikov. So during the war, it's improper even to admit risks uh, of having corruption in uh, procurements for army. Uh, Ukrainians are now very sensitive to that because every second Ukrainian is donating, apart from paying taxes, donating own money regularly to armed forces. Well, and Ukrainian lives literally depend on it. Literally. Yeah. I mean, it's like this is not a... There, it's A to B. Every stolen cent is and more lives lost. Stolen, if it's not effective, if you buy right. eggs... Yeah, for, waste even is like... Yeah, totally. If you buy eggs for, let's say, uh, 20 grivnas higher than in the, in the supermarket... Uh, it means that in big contracts, there is a waste of million or, or tens of million. And for that 10 million, you can buy more drones for the army. You can buy. So that's how now sensitive Ukrainian society is to ineffective spending of public money. Uh, and that's good, actually. So, Daria, I, I want to I guess I just want to like some to say like three things. because I think those examples are like so important. I want to say Ukrainian civil society and Ukrainian population at large are paying closer attention than ever have paid attention in the past, but are paying closer to are more involved in this than ever. Uh, I want to say also that like, I mean, you're this, this, there's this, you know, <laughs> disinformation about the freedom of the press in Ukraine and all this other crap. But I mean, obviously your example disproves that we have journalists doing an incredible job holding the government to account, even in the middle of a war. I mean, that's, that just goes to show you what a free society we have here. And and, and the, the third thing I want to say is the, the notion that Ukraine is a whatever, corrupt basket case, irre, ir, irreconcilable with the West, irredeemable, whatever. I, I mean, it's just, is on the surface so bogus because Russia's invasion is at least in part and maybe primarily a result of Ukraine succeeding in fighting corruption. It's a result of Ukrainian success and Russia's inability to, 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 feel okay with this success because Russia has not been a success. In a business control Ukraine through their, you know, uh, agents of influence and through corruption. Right, and and, and Russian politicians. Exactly. They're they're essentially Ukraine's successful uh, fight against Russian influence within the country by blood money. And it's very, it's very um, telling that you say this because I find Russian influence operations have in part been more successful in the West than they've been in Ukraine. You know, I, I mean, I just, I just think about like Russian corrupt money in Berlin or Washington or London. I mean, we've got this incredible circumstance right now where the UK is providing licenses to Prigozhin so that he can hire lawyers to sue people into submission. I mean, what's the point of sanctions even if you're just going to give people like licenses for the sanctions so that they can ignore them? You know, I mean, the, 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 the London lawfare industry and the Berlin, you know, gas industry and all this kind of stuff. I mean, this has been a huge point of, of Russian influence. Whereas in Ukraine, Ukraine's actually found a way to truly fight, uh, this, this type of Russian influence. So much so that Russia threw up its hands and said, fine, we're going to invade, you know, because we, that's what we've got left. You've defeated us in the influence battleground, which is, I mean, it's an accomplishment and we should be looking at Ukraine as an example more than, you know, 
we have more to learn from Ukraine than than we have to teach at this point, I think, personally. Um, that's that's my takeaway. So let me let me let me ask you one final question. Um, there's a lot of people in town now um, and, and by town, I mean, Washington. But but I mean, it's, it's the whole it's the whole West, really thinking about, you know, reconstruction. And, and even though I mean, it's fine to think about this stuff. I mean, I, I always try to say win the war first, <laughs> you know, like win the war, you know, and then and, and that's the key thing. But but when it comes to this thinking, there's always this um concern about oversight and concern about this and that and the other thing i mean how how do you envision reconstruction proceeding and 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 how should we be thinking about reconstruction well first of all i would like to distinct immediate relief and actual rebuilding and reconstruction because what we are now doing is immediate relief when we need to fulfill uh some holes which Russia created uh, and which prevents uh, um, normal life in Ukraine. Let's say they are targeting critical infrastructure. We need transformers. We need to build energy grid in order to supply energy for uh, households. Um, or when Russia is destroying certain uh, buildings, we need to repair these buildings. Um, and that is the immediate relief thing. And I believe that it, it must be unconditional. It must fly because um, in, in Ukraine, it can save human lives. But actual big, real reconstruction, uh, there are two important messages here. First message. And here is where I agree with, with let's say, Heritage Foundation, with whom I usually uh, don't agree when they say don't support, uh, um, don't give much money to Ukraine. I think that uh, real reconstruction will happen in Ukraine once there will be once we will win the war is the first thing, and second, once businesses all across the world will understand that it is it is um, trustworthy to invest in Ukraine, that if you are investing in Ukraine, you can rely on the fair judicial system, you can protect your interests in, uh, in courts, that law enforcement agencies will not raid your business. Um, and that actually Ukraine will sooner or later become a member of the EU. It will be the largest country in the EU. And for that, Ukraine is doing very many reforms like standardizations, all those, you know, quality controls. Uh, and that, I think, will actually bring a lot of uh, uh, flow of capital um, uh, to Ukraine. Yes. In addition to that, uh, obviously certain projects uh, uh, should be a so-called Marshall Plan for Ukraine, for rebuilding Ukraine, because uh, the damage to Ukraine is dramatic. It's, it's probably about a trillion dollars already, because um, our our economy is collapsing. 45% of drop of uh, GDP, people are getting very poor. And the initial stages, definitely, uh, we will need support in the actual cash uh, donations. Uh, um, and already, you know, part of our expenditures for 2023, uh, probably half of these expenditures, is planned to be fulfilled from international technical assistance projects and donors. Uh, um, but reconstruction is, 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 is even more, it's even bigger. 
Um, and for that, the good news is that we have um, a very much motivated team uh, in the newly established Ministry of uh, Rebuilding Ukraine. Uh, it's the team of Minister Kubrakov. Um, uh, uh, Mustafa Nayem, a well-known uh, former journalist and a politician mm -hmm. uh, who is advocating good governance. He is now head of the Special Agency for Reconstruction. And we are in touch with these people. Uh, they are very much open to any suggestions how to decrease uh, the risks of corruption. Uh, they are, are thinking about various digital systems. But what is more important, they are saying, and we are supporting that, that most of flow of money for actual construction projects, uh, grants money, they should go through third um, institutions. Uh, international a separate fund or World Bank or whatever. So mm -hmm. that uh, money would not go directly to the budget of Ukraine, but that there will be, you know, m management of the pro actual procurement um, by international um, agencies. And I think that it will be this interim period of, right after the war um, uh, where uh, we can rely on this uh, model. Uh, and until there will be actually flow of uh, investments and uh, the revival of uh, Ukrainian-owned businesses. Yeah, and, and I mean, that that for essentially, I mean, really the, the first time in Ukraine's independent history, right? I mean, if, if there was an actual, I mean, capital inflow in a serious way, like there's been in other European countries, Ukraine, I mean, is going to be a regional powerhouse. I mean, with, with its workforce and with its natural resources, I mean, it's a lot of this... You know, I, I think you're rightly pointing out is you, the change in Ukraine's international reputation, right? And if 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 all of these various corporations of business interests are like, oh, Ukraine's the place to be, and everybody goes, oh my God, it's going to go so fast. Ukraine will rebuild and get so rich, and it'll be, I mean, it'll be great for the world, um, and it'll go much more quickly than people think. Very, and we can be, and we should be, a very good, reliable partner for the U.S. Uh, because uh, well, U.S. is now in in uh, uh, in search for the um, uh, supply chain, uh, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, we have a lot of critical uh, minerals. So we have lithium, we have uh, titanium, we have all other critical minerals. Which and uranium. If the Ger if the Germans would if the Germans would stop looking at Moscow when they look east and look at Kiev instead, they'd find like another. This is a country with enormous natural resources. You know, I mean, and also enormous energy deposits. Like, I mean, it's a, Ukraine could solve a lot of supply chain issues for a lot of countries. And we need to unlock Black Sea because when Russians are sitting in Crimea, they are also sitting on our shelf, uh, uh, sea shelf, which is hiding a lot of energy resources. And it's another alternative way to supply uh, Europe with, uh, let's say, gas on, on some oil uh, by passing Russia. So now... Germany, miraculously, Germans were saying it's impossible to live without Russian gas, but it's the first year. Yeah, it turns out you totally can do it. Yeah. <laughs> we're in Norway now, but okay. Uh, in, in Ukraine, we are fine of Germany also to rely on, 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 on Ukrainian energy resources, and we would be happy for German companies, American companies, come and rebuild uh, our energy. Um, and uh, it includes, uh, you know, uh, usual energy like gas, because we can't just transform into um, uh, 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 renewables. 
Um, we need some other alternative energy to balance renewables. But for renewables, again, it's a source of lithium, titanium, and other critical minerals for industries. And we can have joint partner uh, corporations, projects. So this, I believe, is the future of reconstruction of Ukraine. Yes. And is that, is that Ukraine's message? Rely on us. You know, that's, that's militarily, natural resources, innovation. I mean, I'm, I'm very excited for the future of Ukraine. But, of course, you know, first things first, we got to win this war. You know, I mean, that's, that's really critical. You liberate every inch of and Ukrainian territory. Russia invading again. And Ever again. For this, Ukraine must be a very prosperous, independent state, with, which is governed by rule of law, and where it's... You know, it's, it's good to invest. Like, people like to invest in, in Israel because their IT is good. Our IT is really good as well. So we just, we will build rule of law rules um, so that it will be attractive for uh, all innovators across the world to come to Ukraine and, and, and help us rebuild the country and help us create something new for the world. Help Ukraine win and get excited for Ukraine's future. That's the, it's going to be, it's going to be wonderful for everybody. Daria, thank you so much for coming on. Wonderful discussion. You're a, a font of great wisdom, and it's always a pleasure talking to you. Thank you, Paul. Thank you for all your support. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.